danger, 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 the graveyard chamber. Danger, 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 the graveyard chamber. Danger, 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 the graveyard chamber. Good evening, everyone. It's Necromaniacs Podcast. This week, it's me and Jeff. Hello. And, uh, how's it going, Jeff? You doing all right? Doing as good as I can be. How about you? I'm doing all right. You know. Good, man. Things could definitely be better, though. You know. Yes, they could. I was going to say, at least we don't live in Texas, where apparently coronavirus no longer exists. <laughs> The fucking state. Congratulations. Yeah. We're we're uh, we're coastal elites. <laughs> that's it, you and I. <laughs> yeah, that's us, man. Yeah, coastal elites. You know. Yep. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about Saint Maud, this uh, movie that a lot of people have been talking out, talking about, and uh, we're finally getting around to checking it out. But before that, uh, you know, we do our weekly uh, catch up on like what we've been listening to or watching or reading so uh anything interesting this week jeff yeah um i discovered a i think it's a podcast from a couple years back called the root of evil have you heard of it no it is really it's about george uh Hedell and his family and if you don't know that name george Hedell, he was always been the lead suspect in the black dahlia murder ah okay and uh, I don't really know that much about the Black Dahlia murder. I mean, I, you know, I've seen the, the, the crappy De Palma film. Uh, I've seen it mentioned here and there, but I didn't really know the story too well. And while this podcast really isn't about her and the murder, it's really about this guy and how fucked up he was and how he fucked up his entire family and just what a depraved, horrible person he most probably was. I mean, as you know, the case has never been solved, but um, it was probably him. And like after the the father died, his son was actually a LA uh, homicide detective retired, and he decided to pick up the mantle and initially wanted to prove his father's innocent, but came to the decision that his father was definitely the killer. Wow, that sounds cool. Um, you, you're going yeah. deep in the uh, in the in the true crime stuff. It seems like recently. Well, you know, uh, when you listen to all the comedy podcasts, you know, they get kind of boring after a while. You need to need to find something new. And, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of interested by that stuff. You probably have some, some interest in that yourself, I would imagine. I do. And I, uh, I haven't been able to find too many of these podcasts that deal with tr- true crime. That have really grabbed mm. my interest, though, unfortunately. I mean, I used to read a lot of true crime, like, way back in the 90s, like, when I was a young young guy. And uh, it's funny how that stuff, like, back then, it seems like when you hit, like, that, there's a certain age, you know, where it's, like, you're kind of into all that, like, serial murder and true crime. I used to read, like, you know, Sandra London's books and all that. And mm. I think I got into, um, I started reading, like, a lot of James Elroy, and he... It has a very fascinating connection with, uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Short, I think that her name was. the. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the book My Dark Places, right? Yeah, totally. That's like a biography. That's a great book. Yeah. Yeah, I read it a long, long time ago. I don't really remember the details, but I think I'm going to dust that one off after listening to this podcast. And it goes down pretty easy. It's eight episodes or about like 40 minutes long each. Uh, I got through it in a day of work or wow. a day and a half. I'll check that out for sure, man. 
And I remember uh, you were the one who pointed out um, when Anodyne stayed at my apartment in Los Angeles that one of the Manson murders took place down the street from where we were living. I had no idea. Yeah, the La, the LaBianca murders. The LaBianca murders. Yeah. Lino, Lino LaBianca and his wife were murdered right down the street from your house. Yeah, on Waverly Drive. That was my first apartment in Boston. I mean, uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, but they changed the number. That's because remember we we walked out there to try to find it, and uh, and I, off the top of my head, I'm having a blanking on what the actual address was. But they, the house is still. I, I has to be the house that I was looking at, but it was a different yeah. a different number. You know how like right. real estate people like you know, they they probably don't want people to. Someone might might not want to rent that house, I guess, or buy that house, knowing that the Manson family brutally murdered someone in that house. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> and uh, well, the other house, the uh, Polanski house, uh, they just tore down on on um, what was it, Cecil Drive or something like that. Yeah. And wait, didn't someone famous own that? Like uh, like Trent Reznor or Marilyn Manson? Didn't someone famous own that? I think Trent Reznor lived in some like famous place in New Orleans, but uh, you might be right. I don't know too much about the history of that uh, or what happened to the house afterwards. I just know it doesn't exist any, anymore. Huh. Or maybe, it, I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> That's some heavy shit, definitely, man. Yeah, um, I guess in these heavy times, <laughs> I guess this is how I... Uh, you know, uh, entertain myself. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, I also watched a movie I've been uh, meaning to get around to because uh, I, I, it seems like everywhere I turn, people are saying how great it was. I watched the Shutter movie Host. What do you think of that? It was okay. Um, you know, it it was pretty much like the Unfriended movies. Uh, I, there was two of those. And it was basically the same idea. It all takes place on a laptop, and one by one, these people kind of get picked off. Um, you know, so it's sort of like a found footage type thing. And you know, it was it was well done, but it was not really anything I hadn't seen before. It was just done well. It was okay. I mean, it, it was mercifully short. It was less than an hour. What do you think? Yeah, I mean. It was, it was like a novelty almost, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, we're in the pandemic, we, you know, we social distance, you know, f Zoom, whatever. It's like, and I, I think that's kind of like why I was like, eh, like in like two two years from now, no one's going to give a fuck. People are going to yeah. forget that this even happened probably, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I get it, man. People are trying to be creative in a time where it's difficult to, to, to do that. And people are trying, and you know, it was worth the watch. You know, good good job. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, what about you, man? What you been up to? Um, I just, a couple nights ago, watched this film called The Vigil, which uh, I read about in Rue Morgue, and I saw that it popped up on, uh, on Apple Movies. And, uh, mm. and it's, uh, it was pretty good. It was, uh, have you heard of it? It sounds. Is it a newer movie? Yeah, it's brand new. Brand new. Just came. Oh, okay. Uh, how was it? I thought it was interesting. It was. Uh, it took place in Borough Park in Brooklyn. Um, it had to mm. do with uh, a uh, the Orthodox Jews in this area, and one guy was uh, a, a Hasidim, 
you know, which is like for anyone out there who doesn't live in New York, uh, they're like the very, um, very extreme sort of uh, they're the guys with the black suits and the, you know, the hats and everything. And uh, they're they're like a, a, a level up with, of intensity with uh, the religion. So they're extremely religious. And this guy left the community and um, he was trying to practice his religion with uh, more progressive Jews. Um, you know, who are trying to be part of modern society and that kind of stuff. So he gets confronted by this, uh, a former friend of his. And it has to do with this um, sitting vigil, which uh, when someone dies in their community, they have uh, you know, other members of the, of the uh, you know, they sit around, they sit and watch the body, you know, protect its soul. And it turns out that this guy who just passed away uh, a demon had attached himself to the to the guy and you know it takes place all in one evening and uh mayhem mm. mayhem ensues and it's it's cool because it's um i mean yeah I, I like reading a lot about different types of mysticism and you know occult stuff and and you know sure. kind of uh like like jewish mysticism is pretty interesting you know like the but it, it doesn't go deep into that type of stuff but you know, some of the some of the names of the demons that they, they mentioned were, were things I was familiar with, so it was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I don't know of too many Jewish themed horror movies. There was one from maybe like a decade ago, but the name complete and plot completely escaped me. I just know it had Matasyahu in it. The uh, oh, the, you're talking about the one with the uh, the Dybbuk box? Yes. Yeah, that was a good movie. I enjoyed that one for sure. I know I saw it. I don't remember anything about it. Well, the, the Dybbuk box is like some, it's once again, part of the you know, tradition of, uh, you know, that of the you know, Jewish tradition. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good movie, man. Definitely cool. I, I enjoyed it. I was like, you know, I watched it, I think on cable one night at my parents' house and I was like pleasantly surprised. And yeah, that's a, that's a pretty solid uh, at home your parents kind of movie. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, it's my my mom loves horror films. Like my mom and I, yeah, mine too. You know, we we like trip out on horror movies, but uh, so but also there wasn't any like sex or like you know like like titties or you know fucking extreme violence or anything like that. So it's definitely a movie you could watch with your family. It's funny, even at uh, my age, that like if I'm watching a movie with my parents and and people start banging people start getting, getting naked like i still get uncomfortable like a little kid you know yeah. what i mean no nah, it's on it's totally uncomfortable definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> um um one last thing i forgot to mention you uh, mentioned this to me before to check it out the king cast that's something i've been really getting yeah. really digging into the last since the last time we talked um so, so what do you think of that I think it's great. Uh, I've known, uh, it took me a few episodes to realize that it was like one of the guys used to write for Ain't It Cool News under the name Quinn, and I've been reading his stuff for, for quite some time. Uh, and I think it's a really, they, they really break down King's books and films uh, quite well in a really interesting way. And they're clearly huge fans and uh, kind of reconnected my love of Stephen King and how uh, that was really probably my real introduction to horror was my mom read all those books when I was a kid and I would see those covers and those covers seemed to have like power to me, you know, like I was afraid to go near them, you know? You know, it's really interesting how everyone talks about the, the covers 
of those old, the original, well, not the original, but whatever pressings those were. Because I, I, me too, the same thing. The, the covers just had, they looked like foreboding. Like they had this very intense, like energy around them, you know? Oh yeah, totally. And, you know, the ones that stick night shift, skeleton crew, pet cemetery, which are my favorite books of his. Uh, I was so afraid of those, like to go near them, you know, I thought they had some sort of power, but when I got a little older, I got more curious to actually start to read this stuff. And, um, you know, I think Stephen King's later writing leaves a little bit to be desired, but like his early stuff is just incredible. And especially his short stories. And, you know, listening to this podcast is really, uh, you know, made me go back and reread some of the stuff. And it's funny, like you don't think it's going to bother you as an adult, but it does. Yeah. I love that, that podcast. And, um, Really interesting guests that had your your uh, your buddy uh, Thomas Jane was on. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. His episode was pretty funny. It was pretty cool. Very funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the Richard Stanley episode because oh, they yeah. talked about yeah. they talked about the lonesome death of Jordy Darrell, which uh, I think I saw that when it was maybe eleven, and that particular segment really fucked me up. Uh, so it was really interesting to hear. I was like, you know, I never really made that connection that this is really Lovecraft inspired. I didn't, I didn't make that connection. Yeah, me neither. Um, I, I, I actually, there was a comic book version of Creepshow that came out before, for me personally, I read the comic book before I saw the movie and, uh, Bernie oh, Wrightson, okay. Bernie Wrightson did the artwork and I was like, that that particular story that, that was fucking awesome. I love that one, man. And, and I re- the, I love Bernie Wrightson's artwork. Um, I actually have a Bernie Wrightson print hanging up in my bathroom. It's a uh, it's a werewolf, by the way. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> and, and, um, yeah, I have a, a Bernie Wrightson werewolf and a Frank Frazetta Dracula, like in my bathroom. Mm. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. And um, yeah, the Stephen King stuff. I guess after. For me as a kid, after uh, Poe and Lovecraft was the first like modern like horror writer that I actually read as a kid. You know, I started mm. kind of then Clive Barker after that, you know. Yeah, I, all great writers. King has that everyman quality. We're just like, you know, it's not high literature, but anyone can read it and anyone can get it. And he's so good at the inner dialogue of the, of the characters and one particular story that, re- again, really fucked fuck me up was The Raft, like seeing it in Creepshow 2 and reading it as a kid, thinking that if I read it, it, it might bother me less, but then it ended up bothering me way more. It's so much more descriptive about the horrible death these kids have. Yeah, man, it's, I, I always, for me, like, the, like the, the written parts, the written word is way more disturbing in a lot of ways than any kind of like visualization of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, your imagination goes to places that, you know, that's unique to you. You know what I mean? One of the cooler guests they had on there was uh, Brian Fuller. I don't know if you know who that is. He's, uh, he did Hannibal. Yeah, yeah. I listened to his uh, Christine episode, which is a, an interesting take on the movie. His Salem's Lot one was fucking awesome. That's the one I really... I've listened to it a couple, of, maybe three times because there's a lot of cool shit in there. And he talks about the serial killer that was in the home, his hometown and all this stuff. Oh, wow. And, oh, yeah. It's like, really, I, I, I actually have grown to like him as a person. And he shows up like on a lot of different um, 
you know, other horror, like, uh, documentary type shows. Like, you know, like if you go on Shudder, you'll see all these docu-series. And, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, he's on the Eli Roth's history of horror and, yeah. um, yeah, you know, I've been wait, I've been holding off on the Salem's Lot episode because I haven't seen that since I was, I don't know, man, like 10, 12, it was really young. I, I, bar- I barely even remember it. And, um, my friend texted me the other day. He's like, Hey man, you've had my Blu-ray for like three years. Can I have it back? <laughs> and, um, my Blu-rays have been in boxes in my closet because I just don't have any space for it. So I'm digging through my Blu-rays trying to find, uh, this guy. And, and like, I'm finding all like, I'm like pulling all these things to watch now. I'm like, Oh, I forgot to have this. I forgot to have that. And one of them is Salem's lot. Mm. So hopefully this weekend I'm going to get around to it. And then, listen to that podcast but yeah his his his, um christine episode is certainly interesting and uh i always found that to be like one of the flatter king adaptations i haven't seen it in a while but like you know considering it's john carpenter it really doesn't feel like john carpenter or or maybe that's just the way i'm remembering it but the book was great i read that pretty young yeah the book is, is pretty awesome i think and uh yeah christine christine was cool not one of my favorite film adaptions though of stevie king i think uh you know, like the dead zone is a great one. Um, yeah. 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 That's, that's Chris Walken at his finest in that movie. Sure. Weird adaptation for Cronenberg, but it's, it's, you know, yeah, it's definitely a Cronenberg movie. And I, I always liked Carrie. I thought Carrie was awesome. The original, the one with Sissy Spacek, obviously. I feel there's like six different versions of that movie now. That's, that's for me, that's the only one, man. Cause it just, that mm. one really <laughs> captured the, the essence of the book, in my opinion, you know. And that was sort of De Palma's big break as far as mainstream success goes, too, right? I think so, yeah, possibly. I mean, yeah, it's it, he had big stars in that. It, uh, Sissy Spacek, John Travolta, that dude with the with the blonde afro that was in The Greatest American Hero, he was in that movie. <laughs> yeah, and the star of House. Oh, shit, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. Loved that, loved that movie when I was a kid. Yeah. So, yeah, it's solid, man. It's like, that's, that's a, you know. I, I hesitate to put The Shining on that list because it's so controversial. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I, yeah. sometimes nowadays people get to be like real hipsters about, about The Shining. But it's a fucking amazing film, man. I don't give a fuck, like, if Stephen King doesn't like it or not or whatever. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, The Shining's a masterpiece and definitely a, a top ten of all time for me. Um, I think one of the scariest movies ever made. It's, to me, it's 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 flawless, but, you know, I, I guess if you're as close to the work as Stephen King is, you know, he, that book is obviously very personal to him and the movie is quite different from the book. I think Stephen King said that, like, Jack Torrance starts at a three and goes to ten. You know, Jack Nicholson's portrayal he starts at eight and goes to eleven, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of true. But that 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 doesn't really bother me. I kind of like that the seed is planted early on that this guy could snap at any moment. I totally understand why King doesn't like it for that for exactly the reason you cited was that. He, you know, he wrote the fucking book, man, and it's like this is like well, this is the way it's supposed to go, and. Fucking Jack uh, Nicholson rolls up doing doing himself, really. You know, he's like doing Jack Nicholson. He's not portraying Jack Torrance, you know? Right, yeah. And, like, you know, like, this, an adaptation is just that. It's, you know, you're taking something 
that exists and you're making it your own. And you get a lot of this with like comic book fans and shit like, you know, Oh God, I can't believe they did that to Batman. Well, this is this filmmakers. This is his idea of what Batman is, not your idea. You know what I mean? You know, I, I used to be one of those people who, uh, <laughs> who no, no, I, I used to, I used to be one of these like real purists when it came to comic book movies. Mm. But I, I, I read an interview with, um, uh, with Lord of the Rings um, when they they made the, those Lord of the Rings movies, and, right? And uh, fuck, what the fuck's the guy's name who did that? Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson, of course. Yeah, and. They were talking about how he was talking about how, yeah, the books, there's just certain things that a book does, like certain parts of the narrative that just don't translate to film. And, right. And that kind of turned me around about those things. It's like, well, you know, it doesn't have to be this like orthodox interpretation of the, every single word and beat in the story in order for it to be good. Sometimes it plays differently. You know, and that kind of is like one of the reasons why it's been so hard to adapt uh, Lovecraft because like, a lot of those, mm-hmm. a lot of those stories, like nothing fucking happens. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's very vague, like the action. You know what I mean? And uh, it's all atmosphere. You know what I mean? And and it's that's why a lot of those films, like the early ones, they they are kind of their own thing that are more like inspired by the stories. And then the, you know, like Stuart Gordon just goes off on his own. You know what I mean? Like. And, and right. puts his things together based on the characters he uses some of the, you know Herbert West and all that and you know I mean the the uh, what the strange case of Herbert whatever the actual title is of Reanimator is a very different it, it's a very different story than what the movie is right it's funny I think the most faithful adaptation is uh, Dagon is basically yeah. a, a shadow over Innsmouth it's, yep pretty much that story yeah and, and, and uh, shadow over Innsmouth has like a lot more like action in it too though you know what i mean yeah I, it's definitely i think one of love lovecraft's more digestible stories for sure yeah definitely you know there's one other but, podcast uh, and since we were talking about podcasts there's a one I, I actually just it's called colors of the dark podcast and, What's that? Uh, colors of the dark. Colors of the dark, and uh, I I discovered it because I used to be a listener of the Shockwaves podcast, and uh, okay, that's like uh, Blumhouse. Um, somehow they're related, they're involved in it, and it's got uh, Rebecca McKendry is involved, and Brian Turek, and this guy Elric Kane, which that's an interesting name, I think. Uh, it sounds like a character in a movie well, who's like the bad guy it's a fucking if if it's not his real name it's it's a a amalgamation of two sword and sorcery characters obviously there's the michael moorcock character elric and then there's the carl edward wagner sword and sorcery hero kane so this fucking mm. guy like cleverly uh constructed his own fake name by that I'm, 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 I'm thinking that's what he did it can't it sounds like too too much on the nose for it to be a real name you know <laughs> yeah it's funny. um cool i'll have to check that out what's the gist of it so what ha- some one of those and I'll, i'm not gonna i'm gonna this is like you guys out there should should confirm what i'm about to say okay because i don't this is a very loose interpretation of what happened at the Shockwaves podcast. 
I, you know, every Friday, fucking show goes up. I listen to it, you know, in the morning and go to work. Friday's a short day for me at work, so it's, it's pretty sick. Friday's my favorite day. I got the Shockwaves podcast going on, I'm like moving papers from one side of my desk to the other, you know, <laughs> just trying to kill the fucking hours. And um, one morning, it just didn't show up, right? And I'm like, what the fuck, right. man? It turns out that someone... Uh, involved in the show, one of the hosts ha- got wrapped up in like some sort of Me Too like conspiracy or whatever, or some kind oh, of no. Me Too caper, and they just dropped the whole fucking thing. And that was like literally over a year ago. They haven't done a single episode. And uh, oh wow, yeah. So it turns out that uh, Rebecca McKendry and uh, one of the other guys, uh, I think Elric Kane actually, I can't, is uh, they have another show called uh colors of the dark and it's you know cool they talk about horror films and fucking get deep into it and uh other stuff that they're listening and watching and all that kind of stuff so it's it's cool i just found out about it a few days ago and uh i've been listening to all the older episodes and you know it's good i I recommend it awesome i love discovering a new podcast and just burning through it in like a couple of weeks yeah yeah it was you know, I, I kind of like uh, stopped listening to a few that I've been listening to and I got bored some other ones. And so I'm, I'm yeah. finding new stuff to listen to right now. Yeah, same here. Like I said, like I listen to the, so many of the comedy podcasts, you know, and there's no, like, you know, stories start to repeat and like start getting annoyed with the way someone sounds or like, you know, like Rogan during this whole uh, pandemic. It's like, I got to stop listening to this for a while. Even the, like, you know, the episodes I find interesting. It's like, I'll save this for another time. Yeah. I can't hear any more of his, his, his COVID talk and flip-flopping and stuff. It's just so fucking uninformed, man. It's like the only thing, the only shit, I don't, I skip a lot of his episodes these days. It's like if he has, if there's like an MMA fighter on or someone that has to do with fitness or like, you know, whatever, something like, like he had Elon Musk on again recently. I'll listen to that, but mm. I don't. I don't generally like listening to the, the comedians when they come on. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love comedy, but like it's all basically the same thing: cancel culture, blah blah blah. We need to open up the comedy stores. You know, it's the same thing over and over again. It gets gets to be a little bit much for me. Yeah, and like you said, just like terribly uninformed things. Like I'm not taking the vaccine. I'm in. I'm in good good shape. It's like, well, okay, okay. That's that's a good thing to spread around. I know, man. It's so irresponsible, you know. And and uh, I just think it's, you know, he's kind of a fucking knucklehead, if you ask me. So, you know, that's how yeah. I feel about it. Well, so the movie we came to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> segueing into uh mike this is another one uh you picked yeah it's uh it, i it's been on my radar for a while um and i i didn't know much about the plot uh it just was something that um people have been talking about in my circle and i'm like you know what man i should check this out i don't know why i haven't seen it yet so uh yeah saint Maud, directed and written by rose glass Produced by Andrea Cornwell and Oliver Kasman. And uh, released theatrically in the UK, October 9th, 2020. And then it was at the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. 
in the business, they call that TIFF. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, September 8th, 2019. So, um, you know, it's been around for a while. It's not a brand new film. Uh, runtime, it's a short one, 83 minutes. Mm. Yeah, so it's uh, short and sweet, you know. Didn't feel short, though. No, and we'll talk about that. I agree with you. Yeah. It didn't feel it feel it felt like a fucking epic in some ways, you know. Yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah. I mean the two main characters in this are um Morphid Clark, who plays uh the main role, and uh she has two names, Maud or and Katie. And uh Jennifer Jennifer Ely, Ellie as Amanda Cole. And then there's mm-hmm. like uh that's basically the main characters of the uh you know, of, of the, um, the story. Yeah. Especially the first half of the movie is basically just those two. Yeah. So we're going to break the fourth wall here real quick. We, we understand that, uh, you guys out there, especially for a movie that's relatively new, <laughs> that don't want to have the ending spoiled. So we're going to be, uh, better, about not spoiling the endings of these brand new films out there, you know, it's, uh, so yeah, let, let's, let's try to not, let's try to like touch on the main points and not blow the ending for anyone out there who hasn't seen this. Cause it is a pretty, pretty new film. I mean, if we're talking about the thing or something like that, that's been out for like, you know, over 30 years and that's a different story, but like, yeah, these kind of newer films. Like, we have to be a little bit more artful in how we talk about the endings, I think. It is quite an ending, though. It is. It is. But I, don't want, I want people to see the movie. I don't want it to just be like, I got the crib notes from Necromaniacs, and now I'm good, you know? Right. All right. So, you're, uh, you know, I, I, this film, uh, it seems long. And it has a very emotionally intense kind of vibe to it. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's a movie about, about faith, about mental illness. I mean, you meet the character, Maud, and she's coming off something really traumatic. I guess she lost someone. She's trying to, she's a, a nurse, right? Yeah. And uh, she lost someone. And you kind of, like, you know, obviously just completely wrecked her to the point where she becomes this new person. Before that, she was Katie. Now she goes as Maud, and she's living sort of this minimalist existence in this really, you know, tiny, you know, depressing apartment. And uh, she talks to God every day. And um, what kind of interests me, I don't know if this was on purpose, or I don't know if you picked up on it, Um she doesn't seem to have been living this new life very long, and she already seems extremely frustrated with, with God. Like, in the beginning, she's like, I thought you would show me, you know, my purpose by now, but, you know, maybe this new assignment will be it. But uh, That struck me as, as kind of interesting. Like, she's a person of faith, she believes it, but how much is this really, yeah, how much of this is about helping people, how much is about really her redemption? Well, and she wants it now. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think it, my impression is that she has recently converted into Roman Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's brand new. And, and to go to jump into something like Roman, you know, being a Roman Catholic is like a fucking heavy scene, you know, because like with their guilt, sure. 
that's like you know the guilt and all that kind of stuff you know what i mean and and it's uh you know one it's a very uh you know that that's that's like probably indicating an indicator of kind of the depths of despair like that uh, i mean people people run away from that religion they don't really convert to it you know what i mean right yeah um i just thought it was an interesting like uh, character point like it seemed like her mission like it was really her actions were selfish more than selfless oh yeah that was that was clear to me definitely oh okay all right yeah i didn't know if i was just you know seeing things that weren't there (laughs) well you know i'm gonna i'm gonna pose this question too did you feel like that this film had almost like um the same kind of character arc as like Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver. Yeah, and in, in a way, it was like a much smaller mission, though. Like, where like Travis Bickle wanted to purify the the city of, of of the filth. Like she just wants to to save someone or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's definitely a person who felt they were on a mission of of great of of great importance, but it seemed to come to from a place of madness from from isolation yeah depression guilt right. yeah that's an interesting it, that's an it, interesting connection it's just like travis bickle it's like you get this guy's outsider he's he also went through he was a, a vet you know right mm. so he saw action he had post-traumatic stress disorder right yeah he's dropped in the lower east side in fucking new york city in the 70s you know which is like <laughs> totally buck wild he's like i just want to work long hours you know he's talking to, to uh you know joe spinell in the beginning of the movie you know yeah yeah that's right um and, and uh and maude was a completely different person she went through this trauma of losing one of her patients and the trauma was so profound that she wanted to completely run away from who she was and create a whole new persona maude Right. Right. And yeah. uh, and furthermore, she picks Roman Catholicism out of all the fucking religions out there to like, I'm going to convert and become a Roman Catholic, like one of the most guilt ridden, uh, repressive, like fucking religions you can you can choose, you know. Mm. And, uh, and there's like that that vibe of, of self punishment. And, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and isolation and all that. Oh, absolutely. She does a, a lot in this movie to punish herself. Yeah. And um, I like those little glimpses in the movie you get of who she was when she was Katie. Uh, they don't give you the entire backstory, but you kind of get the feeling like she was, you know, probably lived a kind of a normal life of a 20-something who has a difficult job, you know. She cuts loose by going to the bar, drinking with her friends, smoking cigarettes, you know, so this is probably like a really like a, a nightly thing. So it's probably like a partier. And that, that's the sense I got from her or from this. Now, do you think you think like in, in like nurses would be like, you know, if you wanted to like meet like a, like a, a chick who likes to have good, a good time, like a nurse would be someone that you might find that good time with in general? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I know a nurse. She, she partied pretty hard. I don't know anyone. Oh. I don't know any nurses really. Well, I know one actually, but it's a guy. London May. Oh, okay. London May from Sam Hain is a nurse. From what I understand, the hours are like some are like a you get a week on, then a week off, or that's the person I know. 
that's their schedule. But I've also heard it's like, you know, four 12 hour shifts and then, you know, three days off. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it's a difficult job and you probably need to, to, to cut loose afterwards. And then, you know, there's a scene where, where she runs into someone from her past and that kind of, you know, kind of gives you that hint. Yeah, definitely. And she got super uncomfortable when she ran into that person too. Right. Like she's just not comfortable with who she was. Uh, Or maybe she's uncomfortable how she'll be perceived by her old friends now that she's devout for, you know. Yeah. It doesn't line up with the Roman Catholic uh, vibe. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the bulk of the first half of the movie is basically this new assignment she got. She's in private hospice care now. Did I got that right? Yeah, yeah. And she's tasked with taking care of uh, Amanda, who is described by the other nurse as a wee bit of a cunt. Yeah. And uh, and again, like, but like they seem to take to each other fairly quickly. And. This part of the movie is kind of slow, but it's also kind of one of the more interesting parts where it's really like, you know, this atheist who's trying to die with grace versus this devout Roman Catholic and like kind of like a push and pull between the two. Yeah, I feel that uh, Amanda's character has like more of this like uh, like her. She's afraid of dying. You know, I mean, she doesn't believe in God. And she has like almost like this kind of like uh, Thomas Ligotti um, impression of life and death, you know, just like nothingness and and this existential uh, despair, knowing that her life is like slowly ending because she's like what stage four lymphoma at this point, you know. Yeah, and um, but she's putting on this facade, you know, she's smoking cigarettes. She's wearing a wig. She's cracking jokes. She's throwing parties. But when it's just Amanda in bed and Ma, they had this really heart to heart. And it's a really powerful part of the film. And like, it really got to me because I, I think about this stuff all the time. Like, what's it going to be like? What's the last thing I'm going to see? Will anyone be there? What you won't even remember your last moment. And then nothing gone. And you know, Maud's trying to, to comfort her. And, uh, you know, at one point she seems to get a reaction out of like, like, uh, she makes, uh, Amanda feel better in that moment about dying says, Oh, you're my saint. And like Maud's reaction almost seems sexual in her excitement about it. Well, that, that's what I was, I I was going to build up to that too, man, is that there is a lot of like sexual tension between them, which, any, t- I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Did you did you grow up as a Roman Catholic? No, I I mean I was raised Catholic, but like sort of like this half-ass version of it. You know what I mean? Like I went to Sunday school. I did my first confession and all that stuff. And then uh, in the third grade, roughly, my dad said, "Do you, you want to continue doing this?" I said, "No." He's like, "You don't have to." I, I grew up around every, everyone in my the town I grew up in was either Irish or Italian. So it's like mm. it, it was being a, a, a Roman Catholic was just baked into the, the society, the community I lived in. So it's like, I mean, I, I wasn't, I, you know, I, 
as soon as I started listening to Slayer and like Black Sabbath and like reading Crowley and stuff like that, I was like, yeah, this is, I'm not into religion at all. But like, right. But the um, but you know the 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 whole uh, yoke of being raised with that religion ties so deeply with sex and repression. You know what I'm trying to say? Sure. Oh yeah. So like that might have been part of like uh, Katie's reason for going into Ro the Roman Catholic religion because she was like you know kind of like you know promiscuous partying and it's like okay well if I jump into this whole Roman Catholic trip I can't you know be like gallivanting around town and you know having fun and you know sleeping with dudes and stuff like that but this right. when they connect with the religion right her and Amanda that touches her in a sexual way and she gets like aroused by it i think yeah oh okay i'm, I'm glad I, i'm glad you picked up on that i wasn't uh, again projecting well no um, also something else later on in the film happens with uh carol the other character you know like her friend you know this lady carol shows up and uh it, you know they start partying her and her and amanda right yeah and um uh, it, um, Maud doesn't uh, approve, and she well, that's when she realized when she gets that like sort of moment, like this orgasmic moment. She's like, "God has given me my purpose," and it was kind of at this point in the movie, like I was wondering, did you ever like wonder if this was going to go some sort of supernatural direction, or was Maud mentally ill? I my feeling was that Maud, like similar to Taxi Driver, like it, mm. it was just the, the fucking descent into madness of this guy or, or in this case Maud and that eventually I knew that eventually like there was gonna someone was gonna get killed you know what I mean and it was right up to that, you know I again like it was like I'm not sure where this is gonna go I don't think it's super supernatural I think there's more of like a psychological like dark drama I'm like I just hope it doesn't turn into a slasher I hope it's a little bit more artful than that yeah. and thankfully it is and, um, yeah, yeah. So basically like the first half kind of ends abruptly with, you know, Maud wants to get rid of Carol. She's like, she sees Carol is in the way of, 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 of her mission from God. And yeah. yeah. And, and she's jealous. Yeah, she's jealous too. Cause the two women have sex, you know what I mean? Right. And like, you know, she just had this big breakthrough with, with Amanda and now she's frustrated all over again. Again, back to being frustrated with, with her, with her mission, with God. You know, this isn't going the way it's supposed to be going. Amanda is supposed to basically give herself over to Maud, but she's still like, you know, indulging in earthly pleasures like sex and cigarettes and partying. And uh, you know, she can't handle it, and she snaps, and and, and um, she loses her job because of it. Yeah. And then uh, this part I found to be kind of uh, funny in some ways, like when she goes. Oh yeah. Out, well, she goes out to the bars, you know, and she start. <laughs> she's like, you know, reconnecting with the Katie, with the old her old self. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, she's trying to um, like uh, meet people and like cut loose and have drinks, and she uh, she jerks that guy off in the bathroom, which I find. Uh, <laughs> Those types of scenes always make me laugh, man. I got out of hand job scenes are always <laughs> funny to me. Yeah. But you know what though? It is such overall a sad scene, that whole bar scene. 
You know, she jerks that guy off. She goes back to her beer, and he just kind of walks by her, and is like, uh, bye. And, um, you know, she's looking around for people to talk to. These people are having a conversation. They're laughing, and she tries to, like, laugh along with them. And they just kind of shun her. You know, you get to, like, she doesn't fit in anywhere now. Like, she's too awkward. She can't be Katie again fully because, you know, like, that's not, like, her heart's not in it anymore. Like, she still really believes, like, I am on this religious mission. So it's kind of awkward. And then she runs into this guy. And uh, I think this scene might be kind of a controversial scene in the movie. She runs into this guy, has sex with him. And during that sex scene, uh, she flashes back to, you know, when she lost her patient, she was giving her CPR. She freaks out. And I, the guy basically rapes her. After yeah. that, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what, the, and and then after he rapes her, he humiliates her even more by saying, "I remember you, like my friend fucked you." And now, now what, it is what do you, such a disturbing scene. What do you think is going to be controversial about that? Like, you think people are going to like, uh, like what? What's like, like what? What is controversial about that? Just the well, fact I that think it's, some people might take it differently, like it. You know, I can just maybe like I can just see some you know idiot like argument breaking out online like oh come on that wasn't rape you know when she clearly says no. Oh okay all right yeah I mean the content is I think very much part of the story. Uh, I thought you meant just maybe the the presence of there being like a, like a rape in there is um, is controversial. You know what I mean? No. I mean, it, it, it really, like, at that moment, you see, I think, like, she's, I think she was so broken in that moment that she doubles down on who she is now. And is like, I'm really going to ramp this up. And I'm really going to save this woman, Amanda, whether she fucking likes it or not. Yeah. I mean, once again, back to Travis Bickle. It's, you know, it's like. It's almost like that scene where where uh, he's like doing push-ups and pull-ups and stuff, and and he's like, you know, no more destroyers of my body, and you know, it's the, and he gets cuts the mohawk into his head, you know, that, that's kind of like this is like Maud's part, Maud's Maud's an analog to that scene in, in Taxi Driver. Right. Yeah, but instead of this, you get like shots of her walking the streets and the cameras upside down, and then you get that shot of her levitating that's her moment of no more bad food no more you know the faster than you you fuck (laughs) you know yeah yeah totally that's what i took that as like this is a moment where she's at this point mentally so far gone there's 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 no going back to being katie and all the scenes she has uh where she interacts with other people at that point forward has this kind of tension to it like her old friend comes to visit her and I'm like, is she gonna kill her? I thought so too, actually. I thought this is when the, you know, this is when the really heavy shit was gonna start. Mm. But she doesn't. And again, I think that's a really great choice by uh, the director, uh, Rose Glass. And she just thought this is her first film, and like, she really fucking knocked it out of the park, man. Visually, thematically, everything about this movie works. So, um, so yeah, I mean, this is, uh, probably, a 
a fair assessment of the vibe of the movie. And uh, it gets crazy at the end. Let's say that. Okay. And um, it's, it's consistent with what you think of uh, Martyrs, you know? And um, like not the film Martyrs, but I mean an actual martyr within the religious sense. You know, in a way, right. she uh, embodies the sense of, you know, the, the spirit of a martyr at the end of the film. And um, so, yeah, you know, that's that's kind of like uh, the climax is is very much a climax. And I think I texted you after I watched it and I was just like, yeah, man, one of the fucking most depressing like endings I think I've seen in a long time. Oh, definitely. Because, uh, yeah, you know, at the, there was a point at the end where I was like, maybe this isn't all in her head. Maybe this is like real. And then I've never seen a single split second of a movie change so drastically at the, like, that was just such, I mean, I was really blown away. Like to the point where I was, did I just see that? I had to rewind this. Yeah. So the movie definitely is a downer. It's got a kind of a heavy, heavy, somber tone, like throughout the entire film too. Yeah, it has this sort of like a, a oppressive score and like really uh, atmospheric visuals. I mean, the, the, her apartment just feel like like you're there. You feel how depressing it is in there and how isolated and lonely this this poor woman's life is. And you know, for a movie that's like you know without the credits, it's probably like an hour and nineteen minutes long, and you really get to a sense of who this character is. It doesn't feel like a minute too short at all like it really packs a lot into such a short running time yeah i was surprised to know that it was only 83 minutes long yeah yeah same here as when when it ended i was like oh that's probably what 95 minutes or so yeah i was i was surprised that town that they filmed it in i i didn't i haven't looked it up but have you ever been to brighton in the uk that is exactly what i was thinking when i was watching it because I mean, I'm sure you guys have must have played Brighton before, yeah. right? Well, that, that's why. Yeah. That's why I, I, I fucking said that because I've been, I've, <laughs> I've been I don't there. know if you vacation there. I've, yeah, right. I'm going to vacation <laughs> in England. <laughs> that's exactly where I want to go. The fucking UK, man. No way. <laughs> yeah, I had some. Uh, that's exactly. I mean, I know very little about England, but like, that's the only beach town I've been to. But like, you know, that like Coney Island sort of arcade and everything. That's exactly the vibe that Brighton had. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, uh, I'm like, I wonder if they shot it there. They had it had to have been. It has that. That's I can't imagine too many towns in the UK being like that. You know? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a hundred percent what I was thinking. I even wrote down um, Brighton with question marks next to it. Um, yeah, we played this. We used to play this venue. It was right by the beach. It was, uh, and of course, you know, because it was the UK, it turns into a dance party at ten o'clock at night, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> dudes in like white track suits and stuff like that and gold chains yeah exactly <laughs> like who call you br hey, bruv bruv yeah yeah um yeah so like the overwhelming vibe of this movie is depressing i even like like in the beginning where it shows her going to take care of amanda for the first time like it looks like she's walking up this oppressively long staircase and just like disappears into the woods and then eventually you get to a house. Yeah, man, it's uh 
So what 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 kind of rating would you give this? What's your score on this film? Uh, I'm going to say four. Yeah, it's an incredibly strong debut. I can't wait to see what she does next. Uh, but like you said, I don't I don't know if I would willingly sit through this again unless it's like to just show a friend like, hey, you got to watch this. It's I, uh, relentlessly depressing. Yeah, totally, man. I I'm, I actually gave it a four too, but I I, oh, guarantee, okay. I guarantee I'll never see this movie again. <laughs> I'll never really. Yeah, I I um I recommend it as as a film because it's great. It really is. But it's just you know I I just don't think I'll watch it again. Really, you know what I mean? It's not something yeah. that I have a desire to sit through again. And and um yeah, I don't know. It's just like it's it's too. Um, very somber just depressing you know and uh mm. you know which i generally enjoy that kind of thing but this movie just seemed like i don't know there was no redemption there was no you know once you see it you don't really need to revisit it again because you kind of you know have been through the ordeal of of uh with mod you know yeah um yeah i mean it, it turns the screw slowly slowly and then like erupts with that with that ending and, you know, like i said we don't want to we don't want to spoil the ending but it is it lingers long after you've seen it you know it has that sort of kind of after i saw you know midsummer or something like that where just like hours later i'm still like kind of going oh <laughs> you know uh and there's something to be said for a great powerful ending in a horror movie what what was your overall vibe of Midsummer? Did you did you enjoy it? I loved that movie. I know you weren't so hot on it though, but uh, I I loved it. It has all the things, uh, you know. I, I love I love cults. I love the idea of being lured to a place, and um, you don't know that you're the main attraction. <laughs> you know, I, I love stuff like that. Uh, I think Ari Aster is one of the most interesting filmmakers right now, and. He's only got two under his belt, but they're both masterpieces. And uh, to make such an unsettling film take place all during the day, uh, you know, that, that, that's quite quite a accomplishment. Yeah, it's like uh, I I acknowledge it as being good, but I just you know I, I wasn't that into it. And apparently, there's an even longer cut out there available. Yeah, I've seen it. Um, I can see why some of those scenes were cut, and I'm not sure the three-hour version really improves. I, I, it fleshes a few things out, I'll say that, and definitely makes the main character, Christian, more of an asshole. But not so much that he deserved his fate. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's, that's... I don't think he deserved to be uh, burned alive, um, <laughs> you know, for what he did, for cheating on his girlfriend and being a dick, you know? Well, not... But he was forced to... He was drugged and then basically raped, you know? And then... Yeah drugged again and burned alive. I and mean, it was a really like horrible, I've seen some hot, horrible hot takes on that movie about the ending. Like he deserved it. Yeah, like who, Jesus who, Christ. Said who said he deserved it? Some fucking... I don't know. <laughs> Look out. It's out there. Of course he, he was a white man. So he deserves to be burned alive. Of course. <laughs> and, uh, it's oddly like, just like kind of humiliating death. Cause he just looks so ridiculous in that bear suit. Oh, by the way, Spoilers for Midsummer. <laughs> we won't spoil the movie we're talking about. We'll, we'll, spoil, spoil, other, we'll spoil every other movie just in <laughs> passing. You know? Yeah. 
Uh, Bruce Willis is the ghost at the end of the sixth sense. <laughs> but, um, yeah, again, I'm really looking forward to seeing what she does next. And there's just a lot of cool things going on with horror right now. Like, all these new films that are coming out, a lot of them are, are pretty good, you know. Like, you recommended we do Hunter Hunter, and that really took me by surprise how much I, uh, how much I enjoyed that. Um, so, yeah. With Hunter Hunter, I enjoyed the sentiment of the movie. You know what I mean? Like I, mm. I, it, like I said, my whole thing is like it's so close to being awesome, and it just for me personally, it just veered off in this direction. I think that I would rather it have stayed away from. You know? Sure. Yeah, I hear you. But, uh, but, but uh, Sa- yeah, I, I enjoyed Sator, it. man, Sator. That's like the way to go, man. That movie's so fucking good. Yeah, I haven't listened to that episode yet. Um... But I'm definitely definitely gonna watch it. That's from uh, late last year, right? I think it just that came, that out. came out. It just came out like in February. Oh, okay. Yeah, it just it's hot off the presses, man. There's a couple cool things coming out. Um, uh, you know, Scott Cooper is directing his, uh, his his first horror movie. Um, he directed uh, Out of the Furnace with Christian Bale. Oh yeah. And uh, well, that was an underrated film. I really liked that. I don't think it really kind of came and went. No one really gave a shit. But I, I liked it a lot. Um, he did Black Mass with Johnny Depp, which yeah. was, you know, kind of, it was okay. Uh, Hostiles again with Christian Bale. He's an interesting director. Uh, so I'm kind of curious to see. He's got this movie coming out called Antlers. It's been delayed for like a year because of COVID, not because of quality, hopefully. Um, I'm really excited to check that out. Yeah, I remember reading about that. I, don't, I, I definitely something that's on my radar too. And uh, I'm a big fan of Wendigo horror movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> dude, fuck yeah. Uh, you know, Larry Fessenden made a couple. He made a movie called Wendigo, and then sort of a spiritual sequel called The The Last Winter. I don't know if you saw that. I've seen both of them. Great movies. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of curious to see, like you know, uh, if it, you know, if this you know a mainstream horror movie by a well-known director i'm curious to see what he does there's a yeah that uh the last winter ron perlman ron perlman's perlman's in that yep and uh it's you know kind of has that like isolated ice station you know like the thing kind of you know anxiety type stuff going on in it there's a there's another movie that i just watched called black mountainside that's uh like Mm kind of on that same vibe it's like some scientists they're out in some northern canadian wilderness and uh they uncover this like temple you know or some relic and that you know all this like unseen shit happens you know it's cool you texted me about that and uh i'm just writing it down now i'll have to check that out i'd like to do an episode on it man because it's um there's like this whole thing that i it's like this these a lot there's all these films out that I really dig and it's kind of my new thing with like uh you know it takes place in the woods not a lot goes on there's not a lot of dialogue there's a lot of like or a lot of it is done through dialogue when there's dialogue that's how the story's told and then there's shots of the wilderness there's like some ancient shit you know that's going on and fucking things made out of sticks you know that kind of stuff mm. you know like yeah that's like kind of my jam these days, like these kind of slow moving like films that have to do with like, you know, ancient gods and 
fucking aliens and shit like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I love that stuff too. Slow burn, isolate. That's what I was surprised at. You really, I rewatched uh, The Dark and the Wicked and I liked it a little less the second time around, but I know you weren't a big fan of it, but it's funny. I watched it with my girlfriend and she really hated it. <laughs> like just, yeah. You know, maybe maybe I'll watch it again because I think, isn't it on Shudder now? Uh, yeah, that's where yeah, I watched so it. I'll just, I'll just fucking maybe over the weekend, I'll, I'll fuck around with it and see if I have yeah. a different opinion about it. Yeah, give it a share. Like, talk about it a little bit on the next one. Yeah, I mean, that happens sometimes. You know, it's like like you and I, we, t- we touch on Thomas Ligotti, and I think I told you that I didn't enjoy uh, Conspiracy Against uh, the Human Race. Mm-hmm. And I read it, like, a while ago before before uh i i even knew what before true detective actually came out mm. and I, I remember not really enjoying it the first time around because i didn't like the um his voice like in in the writing you know sure. I, I definitely enjoy his short stories yeah and then i was like Me oh too. yeah you know and then all these people were talking about oh well, you know fucking you know uh True Detective is just a ripoff of. I'm like, it's not a ripoff. It's like taking that idea and exp- expanding it. And I just now I started, I kind of like revisited some of um, some of his writing, you know, and his philosophical writings in that book. And I I, th- I think I appreciate it a little bit more now. Maybe because I've seen True Detective. I don't know. You know. Right. Yeah. It seems like something that's very much up your alley. Something like if maybe you don't wholly agree with, you can at least appreciate. Well, his the content of his writing, I think, is awesome. I just didn't enjoy the um, well. The first time around, I didn't enjoy his uh, his his uh, voice. You know what I mean? In, mm, in the yeah, writing. sure, sure. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's I I see it through different eyes now. Is what I'm trying to say. Awesome. Yeah. All right, man. All right, man. That's it. So awesome. uh, you know, everyone uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. All right. Stay safe, everybody. This is a mad, mad world we're living in. A world where death is a way of life. Every day, you witness atrocities that know the brain. A satanic panic of sorts, of a planet destined to die. For that is the one thing we all have in common. No matter where you're from, why the fuck you've come, we will all be passing. But I believe, yes I believe, to flee from it is to submit to it. Let us observe death in order to appreciate life we live. That, my friends and foes, is why it is a good day for this earth to die.
Soul. Soul.